0: Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, wow, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh my God. Times have changed. There are no rules.
1: You're gonna love it. Hi and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, along with our dinner party recommendations, those shows that we suggest our friends and family check out. My name is John Boehm, here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Ali, we're talking about two big shows this week. What are they?
0: First up, John, we'll be talking about DMZ, a new series that's landed this week on Binge um, from the DC Vertigo comics. Then we're going to be looking um, and talking about a documentary two-part series called Phoenix Rising, which some of you would have heard about in the news. This is about the actress, um, even Rachel Wood and Marilyn Manson. A bit of a trigger warning when we get to that and some of the assault discussions that this documentary covers.
1: But first, DMZ.
0: This is a demilitarized zone? This ain't no neutral territory! This is abandonment! They walled us in! That's scales public hit list. If you're not crossed out, you're next. Rising if the DMZs taught me one thing, it's that there's no room for pretending here.
1: My only pursuit here is my son.
0: You are stepping into stratospheres of
1: consequence. Based on the DC Vertigo graphic novel by Brian Wood, the new HBO miniseries DMZ imagines an America gripped in a second civil war and the island of Manhattan now a lawless demilitarized zone, separating the warring factions of the United States and the free states of America. Executive produced by Ava DuVernay, who also directs the first episode, this four part series stars Rosario Dawson as a medic and mother drawn into the DMC In Search of Her Missing Son. Ali, I got some like Handmaid's Tale vibes, some Why the Last Man vibes, some even like Walking Dead vibes, even though just to be clear, there are no zombies. (laughs) What did you think of this series? It's interesting.
0: It is interesting. It's four parts. And look, it's quite timely, isn't it? Because it's launching a little bit looking at what's going on in the world right now. Quite frankly, I found the first episode quite confronting, to be honest, because we're watching some quite, Horrific scenes coming through from Ukraine. And here it is, you're in a big capital city. We all recognize, I could totally get your walking dead point, but you know, that all of a sudden it's a functioning big city like we know it. And all of a sudden it's at war. And there's parts of the city that are completely abandoned and other ones that are being caught in crossfire. I found it a little bit hard initially because it's almost a little bit too close to the truth. Not that what then happens in the story is completely representative of what's going on out there, but just seeing war in cities close to home, a little bit raw for me.
1: Yeah, it's interesting in that we see a lot of these shows and there are either zombies or UFO landings or supernatural or sci-fi elements. And this isn't. It is, you know, imagining a world where America has a second civil war, which feels like isn't maybe that far away when you look at insurrections and things that have happened in the world. And then taking that extra step forward where America has basically become two countries, families have been torn apart. Manhattan has now become this demilitarized zone and Rosario Dawson's character is separated from her son while they're trying to escape to freedom and then these four episodes are her secretly getting back into the DMZ and trying to find her son so yeah it touches on a lot of very current and relevant things. It does it in like a slightly heightened way. It's like, you know, it's sort of the near future. Yeah, it touches on some really interesting topics. I would also say with its direction from Eva parts of it are quite heightened, I would mm-hmm. say. The visual style, there's like all this sort of amazing graffiti. And once you get into the DMZ, there's sort of these warring tribes within the DMZ and they all have their own look and mm-hmm. style as well. So yeah, it's quite heightened. It touches on some very real things.
0: It does, not And because it's set in New York, York. and you know that she comes out of the zone she's in and, and crosses into the DMZ and it literally drops her into you know midtown and she comes out of the subway and you see the normal New York subway sign and you know and then again like you said it's on the island of Manhattan and the way it's shot so the fact it wasn't an anonymous city and you were kind of in a city that you know or is very familiar to seeing on screen. And also just the way they're running between buildings and abandoned places and and half blown up streets with gunshots and sniper activity and kind of goes into that real sense of what a city often looks like under under attack or in war. So it certainly looked fresh in in how it was presented.
1: There's kind of this really grand scene where she does sort of emerge into DMC. And I don't know if it's exactly the Empire State Building or something, but it's like the top of this building is upside down. And it's kind of, it's almost that like Planet of the Apes thing of the Statue of Liberty poking out of the ocean. It's not so far in the future that it's unbelievable, but it's also not right now. It's almost like, oh, is, is this only like 10 years away?
0: I wasn't quite sure when it was when it was set, because remember that show Humans? were about robots a few years ago and about these kind of really helpful robots that you had in your house. And it was almost like, but they're a housekeeper. Why wouldn't you have them? And then, of course, the robots go a bit weird and kind of take over your family. But it started well but because it was so i remember that was set just in the very near future and it was really confronting when i watched it because i was like oh, this is actually possible and within our lifetime kind of thing and there was a little bit of that i ha- i felt like that watching this i was like this is all within our potential lifetime and it was a little bit close to some themes that are happening in global politics as we see it but that aside it's obviously set from a comic Book, you know, initially it's come from that's where the stories come from, a DC Vertigo comic. It's not a completely new idea, and it looks great. Like it's very entertaining. You do kind of move through the four episodes quite quickly, and there's a lot that's covered in it, isn't there? Because you've got the major storyline of trying to reunite the family, but as you touched on, there's some gang and in the DMZ, which is somewhat unpoliced and kind of like the Wild Wild West. What else is happening um, as people have to survive and live and and operate amongst the mess that is the leftover of a city at the end of a war
1: besides the sort of main trajectory of this mother finding her son there is this kind of other story of how is the dmz going to emerge as its own like is it going to be its own like autonomous country is it going to have politics but when you first land in the dmz even like the different boroughs of new york like like Spanish Harlem and Midtown and all these other places have like developed their own little tiny political cultures that are all warring with each other and fighting for water and medicine, like even outside of war and everything that's going on. Pretty sure this, at least uh, production started pre-pandemic. You also can't watch these things and then not think about (laughs) it being in the aftermath of a pandemic, which it's not, that's not what the show is about, but you just watch it and go like, oh yeah, remember like not knowing if there'd be medicine or water or um, toilet paper? I think what's so fascinating is that it hits on so many things that have happened and might happen and uh, just our general anxieties about life and politics. I've only seen two of the four parts, so I'm hoping there's um, maybe a a happy ending, but we will wait and see. And in terms of actual plot, the series is about this medic portrayed by Rosario Dawson, who's uh, searching for her son, who she was separated with um, when sort of war broke out. And then we also get into sort of the politics of the DMZ and sort of who's going to run this sort of new emerging country that it might become.
0: And there's a link to her ex-partner or her son's father as part of those kind of gang crime wars, isn't there? And the fact that she's a medic in a war zone is also so interesting because she kind of gets pulled into the actual saving people part of it as well.
1: All four episodes of DMZ are streaming now on Binge. Some of you chose to stay here. Some of you had been left behind. All of you
0: survived.
1: Why did you come back for you? And up next, we're going to be talking about the new two-part documentary, Phoenix Rising which Ali mentioned earlier, does require a little bit of a content warning that does cover some discussions of
0: sexual abuse. I'm here today to talk about Brian Warner, also known to the world as Marilyn Manson. He studied how to manipulate people. He groomed her. He's a predator.
1: Everyone was looking at
0: Marilyn Manson and they weren't looking at Brian Warner. Numerous women heard my story and they knew exactly who it was. I realized that I wasn't the only one that this had happened to. You're not alone. I know, it's crazy.
1: In the two-part documentary, Phoenix Rising, director Amy Berg follows actress and activist Evan Rachel Wood as she takes her experience as a survivor of abuse to push for changes to legislation around the statute of limitations and reveal in her own words, her history of domestic violence and publicly naming for the first time Brian Warner, also known as Marilyn Manson, as her abuser. Ali, this is a really raw two episodes of television. I have to admit, I was completely oblivious to this relationship. Were you sort of historically aware of what had been going on?
0: I was aware of this, John, because I remember it being quite a scandal when Marilyn Manson split from his wife, Dita Von Teese, who's the famous burlesque dancer and and model, Um, and that I knew that he was dating this kind of on-again, off-again actress, but I didn't understand the extent of it until last year when she made the allegations public. But I agree with what you said about it being very raw. I very much felt like I was watching someone who was still heavily traumatised and processing what had happened to them almost as this documentary was still unfolding and and getting made, which is a very interesting and very honest look at it and, you know, quite brave from her, I felt. But sometimes when we watch these types of documentaries, you know, I think back to the one we've talked about previously on this podcast, 15 Minutes of Shame, and, you know, Monica Lewinsky's part of it and she's looking back with years of water between the event and and this point in time of the documentary with some perspective and having kind of come through a lot of the impact of the event. There were some scenes that were heartbreaking to see the response and then some that were almost so raw, I felt like I shouldn't be looking at them like kind of watching them in some regards because it felt very personal and it was evolving for Evan as she was describing some things and her family and and people around her were almost hearing them for the first time. And I think with trauma, reliving it over and over again is also quite difficult, which you'll find from following and if you watch this show, there are kind of two parts to it. The first one was Evan came out um, and didn't name her abuser, but she put her name against a bill. In America of women um, who were trying to challenge the change in law in America about the statute of limitations from the period of time that you could legally charge or, or go after somebody that has assaulted you. So the first thing they tried to do is lobby to get the law changed from two or three years which was the statute of limitation to a longer period of time. So she initially puts her name and her profile to that approach Um, and really um, lobbies hard to get that amended, which they had some success lengthening it not quite as long as they'd wanted. They were going for 10 years and I think they ended up getting an extension to five years. And that's when she's kind of first associated with this movement. And there was a lot of talk and and kind of expectation in the media that she was referring to Marilyn Manson, who was obviously her most famous and long-term partner, but she never named him. But then later last year, many years after that, she comes out and names Marilyn Manson. So the second part of this is almost... What kind of abuse she experienced. And then you get really into him and their dynamic and what was going on in their specific relationship. And it is very, it's quite up close, isn't it? How did you find it?
1: Yeah, it's incredibly detailed. Another content warning going into this, how vulnerable she is about what very explicitly happened to her. But I think you touched on something really interesting. There's a number of these documentaries talking about this subject, like leaving Neverland and Allen versus Farrow, Jeffrey Epstein docos and all those things. And for most of those documentaries, you're usually looking back on a relatively historic case of abuse that's, you know, maybe even been to the courts or, you know, has played out already. Um, And you're looking back on it with some of that distance that you talked about. What's so raw about this is that, you know, there is a scene in this where you see Evan Rachel Wood post to Instagram, the name of her abuser you were watching in real time some of these things that in a normal documentary you would be looking back on like 10 years later mm. that's what i found really compelling and really sort of raw about this was this wasn't like the marilyn manson doco looking back on a you know a court case and he's in jail now and all these all this time has passed you are like seeing her meet with other victims for the first time you're seeing her like still just process what's happened to her let alone what's still going to happen like this is just a two-part documentary but it's sort of just it only ends with the allegation really like a a lot is going to come from this and
0: only last week he has sued her for defamation and her partner for this and suggested that i think she's forged being an FBI agent or this sounds like there's a lot of other stuff going on there's some other things going on for her with her um, her ex-husband as well that she shares a child with so what I think is is the reason I think people should watch this it's not easy viewing if you are a victim I think this will be triggering but if you're not I think why the impact of this is is because you normally see things when there's a bit of perspective or when someone's come out and then ready to talk about it in the kind of polished way we're used to seeing these stories told. You can imagine the impact on the victim, but you don't really see it. And what I kept feeling like when I watched this was you were seeing a person processing this trauma and being in it and for all of the uncomfortable realities of what that looks like. And some of them make you go, gosh, really when you're watching it? And then other things you're just, I was quite overwhelmed and and upset to hear and I just keep coming back to like, we've got at the moment and a very young Australian woman who last year was Australian of the Year in Grace Tame. And I finished watching this show and then a headline came up on my phone about she was speaking, Grace was speaking at an event at the Opera House just a few days ago and saying that she'd gone to hospital because she had said she was suicidal, that she wasn't coping. And again, you see this really polished, beautiful woman in Grace sometimes speak at events and be all the things that she would have done as Australian of the Year. But then this sense of of vulnerability or what's actually going on behind the publicness that you see of a person. And because Evan Rachel Wood is a famous actress and has continued to to act through this and obviously has a really big public profile, I felt a bit the same watching it going like this person's functioned in some ways through this and we're used to seeing her present in a certain way. She's done some really big films and things throughout this process. And these these years that she was with Marilyn Manson, but then just the the fragility behind this person's response to what they've been through, and I you don't often see it quite up close like this or quite so raw. And I think that's the very brave thing she's done by doing this so, like you say, kind of in real time and so up close and personal. But it 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 makes from yeah, it's it's quite it's quite uncomfortable to watch at some points because you just can tell that it's, things are falling out of her mouth or she's just kind of they're happening they that as you're seeing them. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: you're used to these polished sit downs where people have had decades to process it, and this show is not polished sit downs. It's a camera following her around. She's hiding out at one point because she doesn't want people to know where she is, so they can't check, like they can't chase her down. It's an incredibly compelling documentary, I think. If like the theme of this and the theme of so many things these days is trauma that's why she was so passionate and such a public activist to get these laws changed and why the same things are trying to happen in Australia and we think about 3 to 5 years must be long enough to process something like this mm. and it's just like of course it's not decades later people still can't talk about this and that's why I think it's so incredible that basically in real time we're watching Evan Rachel would do this on camera
0: yeah there was a really interesting um quote that she retweeted or republished which I think taps into that sentiment a little bit which is don't ask why victims wait so long to speak up. Ask what systems were in place to keep them quiet. They're so sometimes deeply shocked and um, kind of almost sometimes pushed down this stuff so far that it takes sometimes a long time for it to surface. So many of these documentaries are reflective of things that are happening in society. So we've seen a lot of the Me Too movement. And I actually initially thought this is kind of what this was about. But it's not. It's about grooming. It's about violence between partners. It's about the way she describes a narcissist picking her out as a vulnerable person that's almost open to being manipulated. She went so deep and personal with her experience. She did she just kind of let it all come through that you could kind of imagine how even someone as put together as she is now when she's talking and, and with her experience and role and job got to that point. And you don't I haven't seen that on screen in quite such a confronting way um as it comes across in this so john i want people to watch this i think it holds a mirror up to things that we don't often understand in the way the news cycle exists there's a lot of things we've seen either in scripted series like i may destroy you or documentaries that we've we've seen and we've talked about in the past that are also on the on binge but it's it's when you give the creative right to the voice of a victim and how you see that come through in, in high-impacting television. I mean, I May Destroy You, Michaela Cole herself was a, was a victim of, of rape. And then what you see here with Evan Rachel Wood, it, it's powerful television, but it takes off the covers to, to make you understand a very strong victim point of view.
1: And just finally, the documentary makes it very clear a a number of times with with some on-screen explanations that Brian Warner chose not to respond to any of the allegations that were brought up in the documentary, and his lawyers also shared a statement, which is also in the documentary, where he denies any of the allegations against him.
0: Not only did people hear our stories, but they said... Yeah, we hear you and something does need to change. Any bills that will expand the statute of limitations is really important to survivors like us. We need to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. I realized that this is the first time I haven't been doubted or
1: questioned or shamed. This is the first time that someone was really listening.
0: John, it's time in the Binge podcast for dinner party recommendations, the things that we tell our friends to watch on Binge. You told us last week about Americans in Bed, which I watched and loved, and I saw that you'd put it up in the carousel. So I hope a few people discovered that as well. What is this week's John tip?
1: Uh, well, yes, Americans in bed did uh, did shoot up the viewing charts last week <laughs> from from a very low base. I'm, I'm admitting not not a lot of people had watched it before we mentioned it, so I'm glad it's being discovered. But this week it's something slightly different, although maybe not that different. Um, it's a re- it's a reality series. I I can't escape my little factual bent that I'm going on, but. This is a show that I have been wanting to talk about because I wanted like defend it. It is a reality series that I think people think is worse than it is. So I wanted to set the record straight. I am talking about hoarders.
0: Ah, oh, yeah.
1: These are real people.
0: I just can't get a grip on it. Buried by the weight of their things. He's just overwhelmed. He doesn't know what else to do. This could be anybody. We're here to help you. I love you, and I don't want to see you live like this. We're well, here for you. We you gonna get this done? You're not living a life. You're just living life. This is your chance to get out.
1: So I don't know if you've ever watched Mm Hoarders, Ali.
0: Guilty as charged.
1: I bought a lot of it back in my linear TV past. And it was a show that whenever I mentioned, people were like, oh, like, oh, like it's just, you know, garbage porn. And you're just making fun of these people. And it's just cleaning up rednecks houses who let a car rust in the front or something. And... To those people, I would say no. I would say it is actually like a fascinating series that is actually not at all exploitative and i think it could be super exploitative and i don't think it is i think it treats the people with a lot of respect i think it is actually about what is the trauma or the thing that has happened in these life these people's lives that have got them to this point and how do you help get them past it because it's not just about cleaning out their garage it's about like coming to terms with the death of a child or like you know someone moving away from like moving states and like them losing losing a family connection like there's always this trigger point that has caused these people to start to like not want to let go of things and I think despite it seeming like sort of just like reality fluff I think there's a lot more to it than that there's a lot of reality shows they pretend to do something and don't succeed on them with hoarders they're very honest at the end of episodes with like this didn't stick this person's still going through this stuff or you know this person did continue to seek aftercare help and you know they've reconnected with their sister and things are getting better or whatever
0: it kind of looks at the root cause but you also get the normal kind of satisfaction of seeing like the before and after of the house don't you because yeah it can be quite gruesome when they go in and have to like properly clean it up because some of these are quite almost like, un- I mean, a lot of them are very unhealthy and, like, people have to put masks on and stuff to clean the houses. It's quite confronting, isn't it? But you also yeah. see the relief on the owner and the or the hoarder but also the impact of, like, them literally taking the weight of the rubbish away.
1: Yeah, and I think without, like, trying to get too deep about hoarders, there are these, like, universal concepts that we get, like, stuck in life or that things didn't go in the right direction or that we'd get around to something eventually and that doesn't have to mean a mess in your house but for these people it literally does mean a mess in their house mm-hmm. like they weren't they couldn't pursue their sporting career because of an the accident They're like their marriage fell apart i'm not a hoarder like a, nothing means anything to me i can still watch it and find it incredibly relatable yeah it's the human because, element isn't it because it's such a human element and i think the show is broken up into you know that they, they talk to uh um like a therapist or a psychologist at the start and then they talk to like a cleaner and a cleaning crew at the end so it's broken up into these two parts of like the physical mess and sort of the like emotional or or like mental stuff that's in the way and yeah I just think there's a reason it's up to like season 19 or something like there's the formula really works it's really compelling it's nice to see sort of the before and after like it's nice to see the like you know, beautiful house that could have been, or like the the start of a new garden. From my experience, a lot of people write off the show because they think it's just a bit of reality fluff. And for those people, I would say, please check it out.
0: Okay. There you go. Hoarders. I think we've got plenty of seasons on binge, don't we?
1: Yes. Plenty of episodes. And we've got some new seasons coming soon as well. So plenty to binge.
0: Awesome. Well, I have a very different dinner party recommendation. I'm going... To a breakout in the hit of last year, a film that has landed on Binge called Shiva Baby, which is the story of a young college student who is kind of dating sugar daddies or some married men, different kind of people in exchange for gifts to kind of like provide for her life. But the whole thing is basically, aside from that, the opening scenes it is shot inside a funeral, a Shiva, a Jewish funeral service. And it's a comedy, but it's also a little bit of a psychological deep dive into the horror of being amongst your family and you're pinned into this house. You can't kind of escape. And every nonna, every auntie, every mother's best friend, every parent is kind of crawling all over you, asking you what you're going to do with your life in a very busybody way. And it's all kind of crashing down and like the intensity of her life choices and the decisions that are happening are all being taking place um, at this funeral because her ex-girlfriend the girl who is kind of danielle her best friend her ex-partner and kind of really close friend um is there she's bisexual her parents don't know that but then lo and behold who arrives at the shiver but one of the guys that she's seeing on this app and he arrives with his wife and their baby hence the Shiva Baby bit. Um, but it's just clever. It was, you know, it's probably shot on a smell of an oily rag, some standout performances. And um, I found this a really, really cool film, Shiva Baby. Have you heard of it, John?
1: Yes, I've seen the trailer. I feel like it's definitely like one of those festival circuit films from, from last year that won lots of awards. Yeah, and I think won it a won an ours. Indie
0: Spirit or a couple, yeah, different things, hasn't it?
1: But, yeah, no, it looks um, it looks uh, fun and awkward. Uh, so I, I'll watch it this week and r- report back next week.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I think fun, awkward is a good summary. And, look, you don't have to, you know, get the Jewish faith or anything like that to watch it. It's just a really good example of, like, busybody parents. We've all been in that situation when people want to know your business. And when you think about it, it is often only, often at big family gatherings. Um, they don't have to be funerals, but sometimes when you're kind of thrust together with people that you haven't seen for a long time and everyone, you know, remembers you or tries to put you in a box or tell you what you wanted to be when you grew up and the judgments come thick and fast, but really stellar performances as well, really well um, cast and shot.
1: Yeah, there is no interaction. I, I I look forward to less than like distant family friends seeing you for the first time in like 20 years. Like <laughs> I just trying to give someone that like 30-second update on your life that you don't care about and you won't see again for another 20 years.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, so- yeah, come talk to me when you've had your 20-year school reunion because after a certain amount of telling the same story over for the first hour, you just sit in the corner and talk to the people that you... Haven't, you know, the same few people from school from 20 years ago. But look, this was, um, this is really good. I like this film. It's, again, really clever. You can't just, like, show up to, like, the after party for a shiva. And, like, reap the benefits of the buffet.
1: She lost so much weight. Yeah. You think she has an eating disorder?
0: I was true major again.
1: Feminism isn't exactly what i call a career. It's not you know? my
0: career. It's a lens.
1: <laughs> well, we talked about a diverse... Bunch of shows today, all of which are streaming right now on Binge. Of course, we discussed the documentary Phoenix Rising, the miniseries DMZ, I suggested you check out Hoarders and Ali rounded us out with a film with Shiva Baby. As I mentioned, all of these are streaming right now on Binge, which of course you can find on your favorite device. I'm John Bohm. Ali, thanks so much for hanging out again. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates. And we'll be back next week for more Skip Intro.